Thanks for checking out this message from Radiant Life Church. Grab your Bible, a pad of paper, and a pen. Let's dive in. Hey, uh, if you're a guest here today, my name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and uh, we've been in a teaching series called Awaken. And just curiosity, I just want to pull the room. How many people have really enjoyed this teaching series called Awaken? Yeah. Man, it has been fun. And so uh, if you're new to the church, this whole Jesus thing, basically this guy named Luke authored what we call the book of Acts in the Bible, and he actually penned the gospel of Luke, which is the good news about Jesus. So he penned uh, his gospel, which was all about the life of Jesus, and then he penned the book of Acts, uh, which is basically from Jesus' resurrection moving forward with the early church. And we've been in this tr- uh, teaching series off and on for a while. And so last week, we covered a ton of ground last week, right? Like, how many of you had your hair blown back last week? Uh, So that was fun, uh, but I promise we won't, like, we're we're only going to bite off eight verses this week. So I'm going to take it easy uh, on you this week, but it totally builds off of what's already been spoken. And and so, you know, we, we talked about Stephen last week. He was the first martyr of the church. He was the first person to die for his faith and trust into Jesus. And he was stoned to death. And we talked about all that last week. So if you've missed any of that, I want to encourage you to to head uh, online on the interwebs somewhere and uh, you can find that message. But before we get into Acts 8.1, we have to go to Acts 1.8. So before we can do Acts 8.1, we have to do Acts 1.8. That was me trying to be clever. That's okay. Uh, That's all right. So, and before we, we, we go there, so turn your Bibles to Acts 8, and we'll get there in just a second. Um, but I just, I don't know if this is a disclaimer. I, I don't know. Like, I guess I'm just, I don't know if fear is the right, I guess I'm concerned as a communicator. Like, we're going to do some really cool Bible nerding stuff today. Um, and it's one thing to just kind of like gain knowledge about God's holy word, but then it's something completely different to go out these doors and to actually go live these things out. And so my concern here today is to bring knowledge, to bring truth, but it just sits here and it doesn't actually move into our hands and feet. It doesn't move into our heart and transform it where that actually moves us where we work live and play. And so I hope that you hear my heart in that. Um, I don't know. I, I got pretty fired up the last time I, I, I taught this message in the last service. Um, and so I'm not angry at you at all. Please hear me on that. Like I, I have no like sliver of anger in me. Like I, I'm just, I'm fired up and I'm passionate about Jesus and I'm passionate about what he's done in my life. And I just want to share that with you here today. So are you guys, like, you guys cool with that? All right, cool. So if I just start spitting and yelling, just give me a minute. I'll get over it. I'll calm back down. <laughs> All right, so before we go to Acts 1, we have to go to Acts 1, 8. Because this is Jesus' words. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the whole narrative up to Acts chapter eight, like it's been this 
culmination of all these different things. And now Stephen was just stoned to death for his faith. And now we're picking up on the narrative coming out of it. Because Acts chapter 8 is a pivotal moment for the church and how God uses this. So Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And there's a ton right here in this first verse. Saul agreed with putting him to death. Talking about Stephen. And on that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Now, there, there's so much, and we're going to kind of unpack this verse, and then we'll get into the other seven verses. But this idea of severe persecution, like our English translation does not do it any justice. Like, if you're to nerd out and go into the original language here, it's a program or a process designed to harass and oppress someone in persecution. Now, I'm going to interchange the, the name Saul and Paul. I kind of go, it's the same person. Uh, Paul is uh, Saul's Roman name, and he has this counter with Jesus. You got to hold off just a couple more weeks. We're going to get to that, I promise. And we're going to see this crazy encounter with Saul, and then people start calling him Paul. And then it just, it, it really blows up. But Paul was just absolutely persecuting the church. And he was intentional about doing it. It's not like if you post on your social media and someone disagrees with you and you have this little tiff on social media. Like that, that, that's not even close to persecution. We, we don't understand that. And so there, there was massive persecution that was happening on the church. Luke gives us another little detail. He says all. So who are the all? Like who are all of these people that he's talking about? If we go back to Acts 4.4, 4, we get that glimpse. Acts 4.4 4 says, but many of those who heard the message believed and the number of the men, the men came to about 5,000. It's just counting the men. I think a safe estimate would be 10,000 people. 10,000 people heard the good news about Jesus and surrendered their lives over to him. So put that into perspective today. I checked the census in 2020 for Sturgis and it was 11,000 people. So imagine our community. I know some of you are traveling from other places outside of Sturgis or joining us online from other parts, but just think about Sturgis. The same amount of people that live in Sturgis are in this moment and being persecuted. So imagine like people were to, uh, Paul was to come in into this place right now. He'd go into our houses. He'd come into this place of worship and he would be dragging us out. And he wouldn't be just doing it here. He'd be doing it all over the city of Sturgis. It's the same amount of people. So just try to keep that, that, that idea, the, the gravity, the amount of people that we're talking about. Luke gives us another little detail in that first verse. He says, except the apostles. Now, there's a little bit of debate with some of the theologians. Some would argue that um, the, the apostles weren't the Hellenistic Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews. Pastor Josh talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And when we talked about Stephen and Philip and the, the other, the seven that were chosen, uh, because there, there was a group of Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews, that kind of weren't getting a fair shake. And some would argue that it was just these Hellenistic Jews that were being persecuted. And I think if we see the unity of the church and what's already played out in the narrative, I don't think that's the case. 
Luke doesn't give us, he doesn't say that the apostles weren't persecuted in Jerusalem. He doesn't say either way. And then he continues. To Judea and to Samaria. So now we need to Bible out with some maps. Who likes maps? All right, so five of you, let's do this. We're gonna have fun. The rest of you just kind of sit there. I'll be done in just a second. We're gonna nerd out on some maps. All right, so he talks about Judea and Samaria. So there's a couple of different maps there on the screen. You can see the one that has the arrows. That's Jerusalem. That's where it's beginning to spread. That's where the 10,000 or so people are beginning to spread. Okay, now here's another map that's a little more color-coordinated. The, the Samaritans were north, and the Judean countryside was all around Jerusalem. Now, I cannot wait to go to Jerusalem and actually put my eyeballs on this land because as a visual learner, like I'm just, it's gonna burn into my brain, and I cannot wait to be there and to learn because I love nerding out on maps. I know the five of you in the room, you're with me on that, Right? <laughs> But here, here's the, the map zoomed out. Now, we don't have time to like go into the whole idea of Samaria, but here's like the quick snapshot. There was massive racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. There was a long history. There was tension there. And Jesus says, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna go to there and to the ends of the earth. And so what we're already seeing, what we're already seeing is people are scattering to Judea and Samaria and what's gonna eventually happen, it is going to spread like a wildfire and it's gonna be awesome. And that's what the whole rest of the book of Acts is, is the church spreading and going to all of these different places. All right, so that's, that's just one verse that we just nerded out on. That was fun, right? All right, let's move into verse two. Acts chapter eight, verse two. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. It's just a quick little sentence, but there's a ton of stuff that's underneath the surface here when you begin to dive in there. Now Luke doesn't say, it says devout men. He doesn't say brothers. So I think there's a strong argument that these weren't necessarily Christian Jews in this moment. I think these were probably just Jews who had a heart of sympathy of what happened over Stephen. I mean, what happened to Stephen was a lynching, right? Like they weren't even supposed to do capital punishment. Rome was ruling at the time and they said no capital punishment. Like you had to go through Rome in order for that to happen. And so when they stoned Stephen, that was just a straight up lynching. And I think that some of the Jews like they were mourning over him, but we don't understand the idea that they were mourning deeply over him. The fact that they were doing this publicly and out loud. Because in the oral tradition of the law, you, like if someone is executed for a crime, you weren't supposed to mourn over them. Like, let's look at an example of this in the Mishnah, which is like, it's the writings of the oral law. So in the Mishnah, 6.6, six, it says, uh, once the flesh of the deceased had decomposed, they would gather his bones and bury them in their proper place in the ancestral burial plot. And soon after the execution, the relatives of the executed transgressor would come and inquire about the welfare of the judges and about the welfare of the witnesses. Not even about the family, but the judges and the witnesses. As to, as to say, you hold no grudge against you as you judged a true judgment. 
Like it's a completely different mindset. Like Stephen, he clearly was not guilty, right? Like he, he was innocent when he was executed. But the Mishnah, it continues. It says, and the relatives of the executed man would not mourn him with the observance of the usual mourning rites so that his unmourned death would atone for his transgressions. But they would grieve over his passing since grief is felt only in the heart. Completely different mindset here. So the fact that these devout men buried and mourned him deeply, maybe crying out, like they were kind of making a public stance on what happened to Stephen. So this is, this is a huge deal that Luke threw that little detail in there. Let's continue. Saul, however, was ravaging the church he would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. House after house. I mean, just, just drive through our community and just imagine like there was this intense persecution and they were systematically going house to house and persecuting those who claimed the name of Jesus. Now here's the thing. Here's the reason why they're going house to house. There was a lot that was happening in the house. Sure, they would go to the synagogue. They would hear the Torah being spoke and someone would talk about the teaching of it. It'd be similar to what you're doing right now in this moment. We would gather together in this place. There would be God's word spoken and some guy would ramble on for a little while and then they would take off. That sort of thing would happen. But it didn't just stay there. People would actually go back to their houses and talk more about scripture. And then, this is a crazy thing, they would invite people who didn't hear the good news about Jesus into their homes. It was this really profound thing. So I'm wondering, should our homes be a place for teaching and evangelism? Now I know this is a crazy thought, but like you know people who don't know Jesus? And they have to eat a meal at some point. You know Jesus and you have to eat a meal at some point. What if you invited the person who didn't know Jesus into your home and just shared what Jesus is doing in your life? I know, this is a crazy concept. Hang with me. What if we did that? You, You don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't have to go to classes. All you have to do is share what Jesus has done inside your life. Has Jesus healed you of something? Has he freed you from something? Like we claim the name of Jesus over anxiety and depression. Maybe Jesus has healed you from that. That's what you share at your dining room table with someone. I mean, we just got done talking about life groups and signing up for life groups. What if that became a place where teaching and evangelism happened? And I get it, that word evangelism, it's a really fancy, churchy word. It literally just means sharing the good news about Jesus. That's all that is. So what if we actually did that? What if we actually opened up our homes? And I'm not saying don't invite other church people into our homes. Like we gotta have that whole ironing, sharpening, ironing sort of thing. But what happens if we actually invited people who are far from Jesus into the mix of all of that? What would that look like? Because that's what was happening. 
And that's the reason why Paul was going house to house because the church wasn't limited to a building or synagogue. It was all over the place. And I hope that you see that and I hope that you catch that. Our homes should be a place of teaching and evangelism. But Paul, he, like, he knew how powerful this was. And so he was intentional about going house to house and he was dragging people off. Like he was ruthless in the way that he did this. Now you fast forward the narrative. We've already alluded to this or if you've already read through the book of Acts, Saul or Paul has this encounter with Jesus. We're gonna get to it, I promise. But then it, he literally flips the script. He, he goes from dragging people away approving people being stoned to death, putting people into prison to the point where he starts actually planting these churches, these house churches. It's crazy. In fact, he wasn't ashamed of his past. Check this out in Galatians chapter one, verse 13. He says, for you have heard about my former way of life in Judaism. I intensely persecuted God's church and tried to destroy it. Paul wasn't defined by his former way of life and you're not defined by your former way of life. People might bring up your past and what you used to do. You are not defined by that. You are defined by this moment in time with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and the infilling and dwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you and your obedience to that. Paul, he wasn't ashamed of his past. He owned it. But that just gave God all the more glory. I should be dead or in prison. But because of Jesus in my life, I get to be here with you today. And I'm thankful for that. That's my formal way of life. Sure, I got regrets, but Jesus uses my past. And he wants to use you as well. You are not defined by your formal way of life. You were defined by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Paul was ruthless in this. He didn't care if you're a man. He didn't care if you're a woman. He is dragging you off to prison for your faith. This was dark times for the early church. But Jesus is the light, amen? And man, he can shine the light into the darkest places and he can use it. So now let's continue the narrative. What happens because of all this persecution that's happening? Acts 8, verse four, it says, those who were scattered went on their way. What were they doing? Preaching the word. They were sharing it. And this wasn't just a, a scattering of fear. This was God scooping up his people and casting seeds in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And God wants to use you. He wants to spread the good news of Jesus and he wants to use you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to use you? And I get it, like, there's fear. I loved what Ian shared, right? Like, God puts stuff inside of us. We're not to have a spirit of fear. There's a spirit of power. 
That same spirit of power is who raised Jesus Christ from the grave to begin with. He can give you words and what to say. I think God uses this persecution to absolutely spread the good news. Because here's the thing, friends. Like, we've got it so good here in America. I mean, you, you can turn the news on and you can complain and lament about this or that. But we, we've got it good. We, we've got it, like we have no idea what persecution is. The evangelist uh, from Europe in the early 1900s, Leonard Ravenhill, he puts it like this. He says, the early church was married to poverty, prisons, and persecution. Today, the church is married to prosperity, personalities, and popularity. Like, persecution isn't like, well, my favorite speaker's not on the stage right now. Or they did, the band didn't sing my favorite song. Or man, I hate the color of the carpet. Like that is not persecution, friends. That is not persecution. Or someone disagreed with you on your social media post. Like that is not persecution. There are people who are dying in this world for their faith in Jesus Christ. We have it so good here. And now we get introduced to this character named Philip. Philip was part of those seven. We talked about this two weeks ago. He was full of the spirit and full of wisdom and God was using him to serve. And now he's changed his assignment and he's sending them to Samaria. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention. I think most of you are paying attention to me right now. Thank you for that. But they were paying attention to what Philip said as they listened and they saw the signs he was performing. Now, this is a picture taken from Samaria. I'm not saying this is where Philip was at, but potentially some sort of environment just like this that uh, Philip was speaking and people were hearing, but then there was these signs and wonders that were happening. And if you're new to the church or this whole Jesus thing, this next verse is gonna sound really weird to you. But verse seven, verse seven says, the unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. Luke is a physician writing about this. He's a doctor. He's a doctor writing about some sort of supernatural thing that happened and physical ailments that were being healed. Now, I think if someone had a, a bum wheel and they couldn't walk or whatever, and now all of a sudden they can walk, you, like you could witness that. You could see this witness. But what I like to call the unseen realm, there are demons, there are angels, there is a devil, God's in heaven. And for some, most of us, the curtain is just there. We, we can't see this unseen realm, but the scriptures definitely talk about it. It's mentioned and there's these unclean spirits, there's demonic forces, right? And people will, were freed from this torment. And I think the, the crying out was just something physical to see that was happening in the spiritual realm. And it was just this crazy scene that's playing out. So people are being freed from torment, demon oppression, or possession. And there was people that were being freed from physical ailments in their life. So there's all kinds of things that are happening right here in these first seven verses. 
Paul is just coming in. He's destroying the house churches. People are scattering like crazy. But then people are beginning to hear this message about Jesus. People are being healed. And what happens because of all that? There was great joy. Great joy. How awesome is that? The result of the gospel is joy. I'm not saying that you're not going to experience challenging things. I'm not saying that you're not going to grieve or mourn the loss of loved ones. I'm not trying to minimize the pain or the hurt or the trauma that you've gone through. But still, in in spite of all of those things, deep down in the well of our soul, we still have joy because of Jesus. The result of the gospel is joy. Now, commentary written by William Barclay kind of sums up all of these eight verses like this. He says, we must note what Christianity brought to these people, the Samaritans. It brought the story of Jesus, the message of the love of God and Jesus Christ. It brought healing Christianity has never been a matter of words only. Let that one sit for a second. Christianity isn't just about the words, although these words right here, they bring life, amen? And God wants to use you to overflow these words to other people. It brought as a natural consequence a joy that the Samaritans had never known before. It is a false Christianity which brings an atmosphere of gloom. True Christianity radiates joy. Do you have joy coming out of you? Or are you doom and gloom all the time? What do people see? What do people witness in your life? Is it doom and gloom all the time? It's a sad, sob story all the time, and I'm not trying to minimize the pain that you've gone through. But at what point does the good news of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit begin to come inside of your life and you can't even hold that joy back anymore? You have so much desire that's been implanted you at that moment that you put your faith and trust into Jesus that you can't help but to overflow that to other people. Friends, we are called to be a witness. I don't care if you're the professional Christian standing on the stage of the Bible. We are all called to be a witness. And we can witness where we work, live, and play. That's not just a a catchy saying. You can do this. Are you more concerned about getting fired than someone's eternity? and sharing your faith at your workplace. God will provide the work. And I'm not saying you need to go get up on your soapbox and call everybody a sinner and wave your Bible around. That's not what I'm saying. But as Holy Spirit prompted you to share your faith, to share your story, to share, to share Jesus in your workplace and you were disobedient to that. Because someone's eternity could be absolutely affected by you sharing your faith where you work. Stay-at-home moms, like your ministry is your children. The scriptures are very clear about uh, training up our child in the ways of the Lord. And that includes us, dads. It's not just put it on mom that she's supposed to disciple our kids. Like, men, we gotta step up here. We gotta start leading our homes. 
and where you play. That literally could be in your front yard or your back deck, your porch, whatever, and you invite people over to your house. It's not complicated. And if you're fearful, like, I don't know what to say. I don't have the answers. It's okay. As the professional Christian here on the stage, I don't have all the answers. It's okay. But let me give you just a little bit of ammo. Like, hey, that was a great question. I don't have an answer for that. I do want to respond to you. But like, why don't you come over for dinner next week and I'll prepare a response or an answer to what I think about your question. It's really easy. Plus, you get to get them to come back over to your house again. How cool is that, right? And then you can experiment with some new recipe that you found on YouTube. That's what I do. <laughs> Don't be concerned about saying the right thing. Holy Spirit will take over. Holy Spirit will speak to you and through you. The question that we have to wrestle with is, are you putting yourself in an environment for Holy Spirit to speak to you? Do we just get going so fast with our days? We're busy here, busy here, one appointment after another. And like, do we ever just slow down enough to hear Holy Spirit? It's gonna be hard to overflow anything if we're not taking in anything. Are you tracking with me? Holy Spirit, he'll speak to you. But are you putting yourself in an environment for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? I mean, we did a whole teaching series called More, and we talked about these spiritual disciplines, things that you can do in your life in order for the presence of God to come into your life and to speak to you. So what does it look like to begin to do some of those things in your life? Because he wants to speak through you as well. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to change us, it changes what we see and what we seek. We just sang those words. Are you allowing Holy Spirit to change you? Because I think it will change the choices of the things that we see or the things that we seek. Maybe you need to, to say no to social media for a while because you're just constantly consuming that or binge watching the next series and, and just tr like streaming, whatever. Like, we, like we, we put in a ton each and every day. Do we put in Holy Spirit? What are you seeking? What are you elevating above God and spending time with him? I had a beautiful conversation with my wife even this morning and like we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines in our life and trying to figure out what that looks like and you know, one of the challenges that my wife had was like trying to do a bunch of those disciplines. It's like, just, just take, like, take a deep breath. It'll be okay. Like, I don't think you have to cram all of these in. I think what happens sometimes is we elevate the disciplines over just spending time with the Father. Like, I'm one of the biggest like, um, proponents of doing a daily quiet time but when we lift the daily quiet time over just spending with the Father, I think we've, we've got something off. We need to change the station a little bit. We need to change the direction. We need to repent. And so I just wanna encourage you, what are you seeing? What are you constantly putting in your mind? And does that affect what you're seeking? Who are the people that you're seeking? How are you overflowing? 
Worship team, you can make your way up. Now we've done this every week uh, through the Awakened Teaching series and we've asked this question. So we're gonna sit in this for a moment. I want you to get your note-taking app or whatever, your paper, and write this question down. I know I challenged you last week to, to do that as well, but write this question down right now. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I mean, we just, we just covered eight verses. There was a ton that happened in those verses. We got the Bible nerd on some really cool stuff. But what are we gonna do with this now? How do we, how do we allow this to transform us? How does what we heard today affect us the rest of the days of the week? Now, I, I really appreciate you, family. Like, you're very kind and encouraging. But I don't wanna hear compliments about a good message. What I would rather hear is, God used you to speak to me and now there's a change in my life and God used you in that. It's like I was the only person in the room in the moment. That's what I would rather hear than, hey, good message, good job. I don't wanna hear those compliments. I just wanna be an instrument used by the creator of the universe to speak to you to where it would transform our life that maybe a desire that was embedded in you when you surrendered your life over to Jesus, something would happen in there. I can't create the desire inside of you. I, I can't. I can spit, I can yell, I can do all these really cool things, whatever, but I cannot create the desire inside of you to have intimacy with the creator of the universe. I, I can't do that. But here's what I can encourage you to do. Feed the desire. Feed it. Do whatever it takes on a daily basis to feed that desire inside of you where you deeply desire to have intimacy with the creator of the universe, where he fills you with your spirit and you overflow that to others, where you get over the fear of having that conversation at Walmart. You get over that fear of having your neighbor come over to your house. You get over the fear of, I'm not sure what to say. I'm not sure how to answer that. You're so full of the Holy Spirit. Those things aren't gonna matter because the Holy Spirit is power. So what is Holy Spirit saying to you? What is he saying to you right now? Write it down. I'll stand right here and wait. I was so blessed to be a part of the men's conference this last weekend. Any of the dudes in here that were there? Okay, like all four of you, cool. I was, I was wanting a little more on that. Not gonna lie, I feel a little disappointed. Was there any guys there? Okay, all right, that was a lot better. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, for 15 bucks, you ate really well and there's some really good speakers that were happening and we were feasting on the word. And there was some challenges that were thrown out. And one of my biggest takeaways from that, uh, all of the teachings that we heard was just boldness. What if we were to be a church of boldness? And this speaker, he challenged all the guys for the next seven days. I wanna extend this challenge to all of you guys and ladies. What if, 
What if we woke up, we're still in our bed and we put our hands out and we say, God, would you give me a holy boldness today? In Jesus' name. What if we prayed that simple prayer each and every day? Do you think God's gonna give you opportunities for holy boldness? I dare you to pray that prayer for the next seven days. I double dog dare you to pray that prayer of boldness each and every day. I practiced it for the very first time this morning. Before my feet touched the floor, I said, God, give me holy boldness today. Fill me with your spirit. Guide each and every step here today. And I put my foot down on the floor. I challenge you to do the same here, friends. Because it's one thing to hear a message from God's word. It's a whole nother thing to actually go out and live it. And this is how they ended the conference. They challenged us with James, the half-brother of Jesus' words. In James chapter one, verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. James is saying, hey, we gotta go out and do this thing. It's one thing to learn it. It's a whole nother thing that we, go, we have to go out and go do it. The Passion Translation words it like this. It says, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond. Don't just respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. How beautiful is that? So what if we can see the, the things in our life that seem to be pressing in because none of us are experiencing persecution, but what if we could flip the script on the challenging things that are happening in our life and that we would actually go out and be doers of the word and to be a witness and just simply share what Jesus has done in your life. One final challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, I, like, I don't know what to share about Jesus in my life. Well, man, there's your next step you need to spend some serious time and turn back towards God and see his hand of favor, his grace and his mercy that's absolutely been lavished over your life. Because I think if all of us in this space were to do this, our city would awaken, friends. Our communities around us would awaken. The county would awaken because the presence of God was spreading and God wants to use you. Some of you are called to be in the mission field, but you've been disobedient towards that. Some of you are being called into vocational ministry. And I think most of you are being called where you work, live, and play. Are you gonna be obedient to Holy Spirit? Prayer partners, you can make your way to the corner. Would you stand with me, please? Will we allow Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, to change what we see and what we seek? So I wanna encourage you, don't just sing these words because they're up on the screen. Only declare this if you truly want the Spirit of the living God to change you, to fill you, to change the direction of your life, not for you and for your kingdom, but for God's kingdom. So don't just sing the words, declare the words, Holy Spirit, Spirit of the living God, come into my life. I've been looking at some other things. I want you to change what I see 
and I want you to change what I seek after. Spirit of the living God, just come into my life. Would you change those things? So Holy Spirit, would you now in these moments minister to your people? Would you speak to us in our heart of hearts and in our minds? Would transformation begin to happen? And would we be a community scattered, scattered for you and for your kingdom, full of your Holy Spirit, preaching the good news about you? Would you fill us, Holy Spirit? We give you all the honor. Thanks for listening to this message from Radiant Life Church. To get to know us better, check out the Radiant Life. Church. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram.